Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. Sam Basil joined tonight by Kaylee Godek and Daniel Frank. And uh, we've got another great week of conference play. I mean, this has been shaping up to be, I think, in a, a on the men's and women's side, in a non-conference slate that really made us feel like it was kind of a dark time for the conference. I think we've you know, I, we've been, we've been rewarded with some really exciting conference games. So for the two of you, I mean, I guess I would like to start off with what was your favorite moment, you know, of, of the past week since we last kind of convened on this podcast, or, you know, if you got, if you got two or three, let me know. I think it's a little, I mean, it's not surprising that St. Joe's men have yet to win a game, um, unfortunately, but it's kind of a little surprising that Loyola Chicago is yet to win a game. Um, UMass's men are really off to a slow start. Um, one and three in conference, the only win against St. Louis was lost to LaSalle last night, um, St. Bonaventure and George Washington. Um, but I'm going to say I think we are seeing the slow start mainly because they're, the team is still new with each other, trying to get to know each other a little more. That la- that loss last night against LaSalle, I've seen so many close games in like the past week. This one was like the like closest game yet, and it was the refs really controlled that game because there were several calls that needed to be called that were no calls, and calls that were being called that shouldn't have been called. Mm, so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lasalle. Uh, you know, I feel like they're they're a team that could that could really really use it. Um, yeah, seventy eight seventy seven win a really great game from Jameer Brickus. Um, but yeah, not, not something that we've expected. And with Loyola Chicago, I think I said this last, and I've said it on the past couple of podcasts, even when they were having, uh, you know, a pretty, you know, a, a subpar, you know, non-conference slate. I don't like to be the guy that, you know, kind of calls someone out for, you know, a, a freezing cold take, but I mean, coach Valentine in at a 10 media day was really confident in his guy's ability to, you know, potentially win this conference and at least be a top four team. And I think a lot of us are, are, are still waiting for that to happen. Daniel, uh, any favorite moments from you? Well, not last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, that Mason unraveling was um, rather unfortunate. Um, if you are in the eyes of a, a Mason fan, shall we say, um, I guess more towards like my general reactions of the week. Um I'm sorry, Kaylee. I, I got to do it to you. UMass is crazy overrated. Um, no, you're not wrong. You're, I mean, you're this, absolutely not wrong. Everything. I mean, here I am at the Smith Center and like Frank Martin. I don't know. He did this weird thing when he walked in the gym where he like was trying to like, I think, intimidate Chris Caputo a little bit. Like he was towering over him and like doing a whole body language posturing thing. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And he Caputo is an intimidating like, dude. He is. Admit. He's a tall dude. I didn't realize that. And Caputo yeah. nice though. But really like, nice. Caputo like walked away and had this like weird look on his face and like was like, okay, that was weird. But like that interaction, I think, was my favorite interaction of the week. And then like for GW to just like stick it to UMass for like forty minutes was just hilarious. Um, I, I didn't get to watch that game since I was busy traveling with Western New England down to Rhode Island, so I missed that game. But I actually got to interact with Coach Martin um, in a press conference after the UMass woman lost to Rhode Island just over a week ago. So I have actually I haven't like gotten to talk to him, but I've gotten to see him in person, like up close 
closer than I would at a game. So he's a severe dude. Yeah. Just like that's like that's, I feel like that's the only word for him. He's just a severe dude. Like the look on his face is like God. He's about ready to punch someone in the face or something. Like it's crazy. Like I know coaches get intense, but like wouldn't want to be in that locker room. Jeez. I mean, he's you you, you don't player. think you'd want that though? <laughs> I, I don't know, Daniel. What I I don't know what you heard down at the Smith Center at all, but up at the Mullen Center. There are times where literally a player comes, like he pulls a player and he is chasing that player down, yelling at the player as he's going down the bench, high-fiving everyone. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, swearing at the players. I can hear him like half, like not even halfway up the Mullen Center, word for word for the most part. And we're so scared that like we're children around hearing (laughs) all these swears. Oh. He's an interesting dude. I don't know what dude. he was like down there. I have no clue what he was like down there, Daniel. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't help the fact that UMass is getting the butts kicked. Um, <laughs> it was more of the vibe I got from him was more of the the quiet, silent, just stewing. You like he was like you knew it was bad because he wasn't yelling. He right. was just quiet, and that has to be the most terrifying thing as a player. Yeah, um, that's when Kellogg does the most too. So yeah, yeah. I think one thing that benefits from that, though, I mean, as a player, is I mean, as as much as those kinds of coaches can probably really get on you if you're if you're messing up, right? I mean, those guys are also the same type of people to be the ultimate advocate, right, for for their team and their players. I mean, you know, uh, whether it's like in press conferences or with other refs or you know something like that. Um, because I feel like, I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of those coaches, like no matter what's going on, they, they kind of like to keep that stuff like within a, within a team. Um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's positives and negatives to it. I mean, another example that I could, I could think of is, uh, you know, Steve Massiello, who was the most recently the head coach of Manhattan for a long time. I've seen also that guy. severe dude. Yeah. I saw that guy, you know, in person many times. I saw him once like one, at, in high school at, at the Mohegan Sun MTE. I saw him play Fordham like two or three years ago, or no, not not, not two or three, like last year in the first year against Neptune. And that dude is intense. I always felt like you know that his, his he was ready to pop a blood vessel or something. Um, for me, one of my biggest takeaways from this week is that um, and this should be that you know this is kind of like a no duh thing, but I mean I, I I just feel like it's different watching somebody on TV than seeing them in person, but. Deron Holmes, I think, is just in in many ways just on another level than the rest of the Atlantic Ten, and that's no, that is nothing to the detriment for for the rest of this conference. This is a talented conference, some really talented guys. But I mean, watching him play in person uh, against Fordham this week was just it was it was completely insane. Um, Fordham, another thing, you know, you know, aside from being, you know, on a, on a one of three start, one positive thing about Fordham's conference slate so far is that in their three home games, they've drawn really good crowds. Um, I think a lot of the A-10 schools are schools that have good alumni bases in the city. And then also, you know, the people that, you know, might have been apprehensive to come watch Fordham in non-conference play, you know, that were maybe waiting to see, you know, how good they were going to be. Or, you know, they just they know that the conference games are going to be the more, you know, the bigger games. Crowds from both group, like from Fordham fans and from away fans, 
have been really good, and the Rose Hill has been a great gym to play in so far in conference play. So that's kind of just been what's what's interesting me so far. Let's get a little bit specific. There have been some results, like like we've said, you know, UMass, uh, on, the, on the men's side, UMass has, has, not, has not been doing too well. Rhodey has, on the women's side, I mean, has, has been, you know, performing just up to expectations. Um, but even this early in conference play, four to five games in for, you know, most teams, there's always that one team that kind of either has like a really hot start or has moments, even in losses, where we think that they could maybe make a sneaky run in the Atlantic 10 tournament on both the men's and women's side. So, I mean, last year, obviously, it was it was Richmond. Um, two years ago, I mean, you know, I guess, like, it wasn't, like, that sneaky because they ended up winning the, the conference regular season championship as well, as well. But, like, I don't think people expected St. Bonaventure to come in that hot. Um, I don't really think people expected Fordham to maybe, you know, potentially upset Mason in the first round of the Atlantic 10 tournament last year. Uh, you know, that was, that was a real toss up there. So for you two, who have, who have been a surprise for you? I'm going to say LaSalle is going to be very sneaky this year, considering they've got two wins. Um, Dumpy's a really good coach, like legend, um, also former player of LaSalle. So I'm going to say LaSalle is going to be up there. Duquesne. And Daniel, I know you're gonna love me for this one. GW, um, GW's been pretty sneaky, and I think with GW um, having beaten UMass, I think that GW's got a better chance um, at it. And then on the women's side, I have um, George Washington. I'm questioning whether or not Dayton is gonna be up there with how they've surprised this conference play and St. Louis. So. All three of those teams for both sides, like they, it could go in our favor, like what I'm kind of expecting, but also it could go right out the window. You took the words basically out of my mouth. Um, I, I, we, you and I usually don't agree on this show, so I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Um, I'm in complete agreement with you. I had GW as my sneaky team for the men. I just, I, I was talking about this earlier, like. They're such a weird team because James Bishop could drop 40 points at any moment and change a game. Um, yeah. or the fact they play seven players will catch them and they'll <laughs> run out of gas. Um, and it's, they're the weirdest team. Um, and it's a little frustrating because, you know, you'd love to see what a fully healthy roster could have done year one for Caputo. Obviously that's not going to happen. We've got guys done already for the year, but you know, I, I think it bodes well for the future for GW and on the, on the women's side, um, complete agreement with Dayton. I think we'd all written Dayton off. Um, heading into conference play. They didn't have a single Division One win um, <laughs> through all of non-conference play. Here they are at 500. They're 2-2 two and two, um, with, I mean, not bad wins, too. I mean, they won at Mason, and they almost beat Fordham. Um, right. I, I, I think Dayton's a team that, if they get hot, and they're already starting to, I think could could definitely win a couple games in Wilmington. Yeah, Dayton just beat Davidson last night on the women's side, 66-60. to 60. Davidson and St. Bonaventure's are both um, yet to win a game still on the women's side. Um, they both play against each other this up- upcoming weekend, and I'll decide last place in the conference. I'm going to say Davidson's winning this one. Bonnie's have been on an eight-game losing streak. There's no shot. The Bonnies are just a terrible team. I'm sorry. They're, they're no, just you're truly... Not truly awful 
Hey, you know what? That happens sometimes, you know, in, in, in either side. Uh, for me, I mean, I know we've, I've seen plenty of terrible men's teams in the Atlanta. I won't, <laughs> I won't say, I won't say who, but you know, we, 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 we've all seen some, some, some bad ones. Uh, you know, at least we don't have like, you know, like, oh, in 19, uh, Georgetown, right? In, uh, in the right. Big East. Woo! Um, could always be or worse. Louisville. Or Louisville. Hey now. Hey now. Um, <laughs> Um, for low, me, low. I mean, a surprising team on the men's side has honestly, and look, they're two and two, so it's not like it's not like they're like ready to run the table. But a team that I think could pull off if they get out of the pillow fight, uh, you know, if they are a pillow f- fight team and they kind of get out of it, um, I could see them pulling off, you know, maybe some sort of sneaky win. Uh, is is Rhode Island? Um, and I think the reason why is because they have a lot of like they're kind of a weird team right now. You know, they lost some people. Uh, you know, just you know, to the transfer portal, they they gained some, you know, interesting additions. And I think some previous A10 experience, both from Brayon Freeman and from Archie Miller, I think set this team up to be a bit, you know, more familiar with this conference and more attuned to playing well in this conference than we might think. Um, against Fordham, they moved the ball extremely well. I felt like their spacing was really good. Their shot selection was great. And they had a couple players that I felt like were able to take over the game at different points in time and not really step on each other's feet too much. And I, (laughs) excuse me. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Rhode Island and, and my body's trying to shut down on me. Um, but, uh, please leave that in the cut. I think, I think that's something that, 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 that you really want out of a good, consistent A-10 team. Look, they might still go nine and nine, but you know, a a nine and nine record still gets you like the seven, eight seed in this conference. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how, how things play out, how they adjust, um, Let's see when Rhode Island plays Dayton because I think that'd be that'll be a really interesting game. So they play yeah. Dayton actually pretty soon. They play them on January twenty fifth. Unfortunately, I mean not unfortunately, but you know I I I would have hoped it'd be at Dayton because uh, I feel like the, the it it ups the intensity yeah, a little bit too, there. Yeah. But maybe now having Dayton you know on their own court you know kind of kind of gives them a little bit of an advantage. But we'll we'll see. I I mean it'll be it'll, it'll be really interesting to see you know which teams they, they kind of pull off some wins against. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this at the end, but they're playing UMass on Saturday at four. So yeah, I be gonna, some interesting stuff. What were you going to say, Kelly? I was going to say, um, just like um, Dayton arena, I can blank on their name right now. Um, UD arena. Thank you. UD arena. I knew it was something <laughs> basic, um, but basically um, the Ryan center, it's hard for any team to go in there and beat Rhode Island. I've seen that through watching UMass and Rhode Island play there, play against each other there for years. Somehow UMass managed to beat them last season down there. Um, like who knows? Like even on the woman's side, it's very hard to go down to the Ryan Center and beat Rhode Island. So if Dayton pulls that off, I will be impressed. If Rhode Island somehow manages to beat Dayton, I'll give them a little more respect than I have been giving them but for right now there's no respect there because we got rivalry on saturday no respect sorry Rody. <laughs> shots fired you're you're totally right though kelly i mean i knew i never i've actually never been up to rhode island but i mean i feel like during the early years i i knew a oh lot of yeah people that that oh. went 
uh, and, you know, they'd send me Snapchats or, you know, I'd even just see it just like myself on social media. But I mean, they have like a, like when they're hot, they have like a prime time TV worthy student section. Yeah. Um, it's, it can get really nuts up there. So, I mean, if, if, if Archie Miller strings together a couple good games, I mean, maybe at least next year they'll, 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 they'll probably be able to get back to that. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's really exciting to see. And if, um, I'm but I, if I'm going to be completely honest, I've never stepped foot in the Ryan center. That's just from seeing it on TV and hearing it over the radio. Yeah. I mean, I gotta, I gotta get up there too. I mean, I, 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 I hopefully, you know, at some point I can, you know, all, I mean, all of us can, 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 yeah. you know, check off our, uh, our, our, our list of uh, a, a 10 arenas that we've been to, but hopefully the Ryan center will be a bit more packed when they've, you know, when right now, arguably their better team, uh, the women's team is, you know, still off to an undefeated conference start. One of two teams right now on the women's side that are undefeated in Atlantic 10 play. That's St. Joe's at 4-0, Rhode Island at 3-0, and then you've got several teams that are just one loss. So you've got GW in third place at 3-1, Fordham tied with them at 3-1, and and then UMass, you know, the, you know, probably like the heavy favorite, you know, for the past, you know, two years, you know, at at, at two and one. So for you two who really, you know, are two of our top women's basketball reporters for A-10 Talk, Mm -hmm. Is this top five something that you really expected going into the season? Are there any surprises? Anybody a bit higher than you thought, a bit lower than you thought? And moving forward, I mean, what, where do you see things kind of shuffling around a little bit? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll feel like I need to start this one off because the obvious yeah. of who is over exceeding expectations is GW. <laughs> um, the Colonials are. Far and away, I think the biggest surprise at this point. Um, yeah. I think we've all kind of accepted. I mean, St. Joe's was a surprise in non-conference play. I think at this point, we've all kind of accepted St. Joe's is legit and is almost a shoe in for a double buy at this point. Um, GW, I think, is the big outlier when you're looking at the top five here. Um, in terms of, I mean, the production they've been getting, Naya Robertson still coming off the bench, but she dropped 23 the other night against Fordham um, in a game that GW in years past, really wouldn't have won. Um, I mean, GW had a lead in the fourth quarter, let it get away, found a way to win anyway, um, and they're scoring the ball. I mean, what's killed GW for so many years, basically in the post-Sippus era, has been their offense. They just could not score under Rosati. And even last year, they struggled to score the ball. And all of a sudden, something has just clicked. I mean, they got Mia Laxtagala, who has turned GW into one of the top three-point shooting teams in the nation, um, which if you asked me that two years ago, I would have said is crazy. Um, it, it's just been a complete renaissance, revitalization, re-whatever you want to say for this program that for so long was the standard of the Atlantic 10 Conference um, and then spent so many years towards the bottom. Yeah. I mean, Danielle, you're 100% correct there. You basically kind of took my words out of my mouth a little bit with GW really surprising me so far and being in the top five. Um, with Rhode Island just pulling off a win against St. Louis tonight, um, 76-65 with the final score. St. Louis having a lead at, for a good portion of the game in there at one point. Um, St. Louis was kind of surprising me there a little bit, and I thought they were going to hand Rhode Island their first loss in conference play. 
And I would have really have liked that just because it would have evened UMass's chances for a regular season um, spot at this point. But St. Joe, the thing is, St. Joe's and Rhode Island played twice in the conference play for like home and home. That right there, I think, is going to be your deciding point along with like UMass's second game against Rhode Island and UMass's game against St. Joe's. I think those four or five games right there are your deciding point for the conference and maybe Fordham in there too. But I'm saying you're like top three are St. Joe's Rhode Island and UMass. But I think right now it's the battle between St. Joe's and Rhode Island, just because UMass for some reason can't seem to start the like first quarter off. Like they have like in like normal years, like starting off really slow. They just want to rush out. Are like they're just rushing out, trying to score twenty minutes right away, turning the ball over too much, playing sloppy offense, not anything we would expect. And honestly, like the only positive coming from UMass right now is Sam Breen, her first ever career triple double against St. Bonaventure, second UMass women's player ever in school history to do it. Jennifer Butler did it November seventeenth in 2000 with steals, Sam Breen did it with assists. Verdi was shocked that like Sam was such a facilitator when we talked to him post game. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like any season where you kind of, you know, hit a milestone like that. Um, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, you ask any player, right. They're going to be like, well, you know, now I just want to focus on, you know, winning the a 10, making a deep NCAA tournament run. So, I mean, I feel like, Hitting those milestones bodes really well for a, a team's long-term goals. But Kayla, you were you know you brought up a great point in that the two games between St. Joe's and Rhode Island are going to be probably two of the most pivotal games in the regular season. First one is going to be in Kingston uh, on February first, and the second one is going to be at St. Joe's on February nineteenth. For you two. What are the two biggest factors or, you know, maybe one factor from each team that you think is going to determine, you know, the, the results of, of this regular season series? Do you think one team has a, has a, has a clear path to maybe going two and oh, or do you think we're really looking at, you know, an exciting one, one split? I'm thinking a split um, like Rhode Island has a whole bunch of transfers in from like inner conference. Um, from Dayton, Richmond, and VCU, I believe. Um, so those like three players, they know the conference. They know what to expect from all the competition areas. Is they've played against um, St. Joe's last year, and St. Joe's is still a young team, sophomores and freshmen. And I want to say, current rookie of the week for the women's side, St. Joe's Laura. Is it Ziegler? Am I saying that correctly? Daniel? I think so. Um. Like, she's been someone to watch out for, and I'm going to say, probably going to say Rookie of the Year for her. Um, Player of the Year, I don't know yet. Hopefully Sam, but probably not. Um, Don't know if we could get a two-piece, but would it be awesome? But I would say right now we're currently looking at maybe a split, and Daniel, tell me if you disagree or anything, because I saw you kind of shake your head in agreement with me. No, I I think I'm in agreement with you. Um. I'm going to disagree on Sam Breen player of the year because Maya Torre might just run away with this thing. Yeah. But that's a conversation for a different time. I don't see Sam. I don't see it. I don't see a two-peat, unfortunately. But, um, no, I, I think, I think it splits likely. I know 
what roadie's achilles heel is going to be at this point in the season is their defense um i know it's what really gave him trouble tonight roadie has a bad habit and this kind of goes back a little historically too of letting teams hang around in games that they shouldn't let hang around in um and their defense is, is the number one reason number one reason for that. I mean their offense has never been the problem. Um, especially in the last couple of years. Um, it's just been in this conference, as wacky as it's been, you just can't do that. You really gotta put teams away. Um and on the flip side, I think for St. Joe's the key for them is continuing to play beyond their years. I mean, you mentioned their their youth. Um, they got some good experience, I think, in Wilmington last year. I think making the little run they had in the tournament, I think has only benefited them this season, but still a lot of bright lights for St. Joe's are getting expectations. I think for the first time for this group Um, and the ways in which they handle that or don't handle it, I think is going to determine a lot um, for how they handle big games because they're, they have the target on their back now. And that's not something this group has had to encounter before. How do you think that changes like your mentality, like having that target on your back? I mean, do you think do you think like there are teams that that might not be able to handle it? Not that you're saying St. Joe's is not, but I mean, you know, when you're a team that's not used to that, that could be really tough. I mean, we see that in pro sports literally all the time, right? I mean, it's like, you know, a, a team could challenge for the one seed. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, something like I mean, if we really want to reach deep, like, I don't know, like the Seattle Mariners, right? When they when they set the regular season record and then they completely crumbled in the playoffs, like it's a completely different animal. So do you think St. Joe's is a team that's that's equipped for that change once it hits March and then they go down to Delaware? Yeah, they might. They I like the way – I like their growth. I like the way that they've had a lot of close games already. I think that will only benefit them, especially in their non-con. They had a couple weird games where – they probably should have won by more, but they, they got experience in close games, and that's never a bad thing, I think. Um, I think an example, and this may be a bit of a reach, but of a team that's at the moment not handling having that target on their back, I think is UMass. Um, I think UMass' last couple games has not looked like themselves. I know they've dealt with some injuries. Sam Breen obviously is still Sam Breen. Um but I think the the target has been there now for a minute for UMass. I think they've fully shed the underdog role, which made them so successful in what was it the twenty one tournament when they made it to the finals. Right. Um. And you know they were really the scrappy underdog team that played six players that year. And um. You know they. I think we've seen them fully graduate into you know from the hunter to the hunted. And I don't know if they've always handled that pressure so well. I think last year they benefited from Dayton being the hunted still, despite UMass being, I think we all thought was the favorites, but Dayton went basically undefeated in in conference play. Um, And for the first time this year, I think UMass is really starting to to feel the footsteps behind them where they've got, you know, it's not even a one team race. They're in a a real dog fight right now. UMass might not even get a double buy at this rate. Um, I'm not saying they won't, but (laughs) I mean, they're having to fight for it for the first time. And it changes that dynamic in a lot of different ways. You have to think about it. Games matter more. You know, it just, I think it changes the approach, whether players realize it or not. Yeah. So to talk a little bit about UMass um, currently, um, I know after the Rhode Island game, I was not able to attend the press conference for after the Chicago game, but I do know after the Rhode Island game, Coach Verdi was not happy with his team. 
he was definitely frustrated. We could feel it. Um, he was talking about personnel changes within the lineup that he's still trying to find like a guard to like take that like one spot. Like he he wants to have a nine play eight to nine player rotation, meaning like his starters, say um McKenna, uh, well, not McKenna White, um say um Breen, Angelique uh, Kalandi, Bernardo Mayo, Destiny Foxy, and Sydney Taylor as your starters, and then Alexia Brooks. McKenna White, Layla Fair, and then he's still trying to find that last guard, whether it's Stephanie Kalasia or um, Kristen Williams. There we go. I was blanking on her name for a second. There's so many names, um, but basically he's trying, like he's trying to find that like extra guard because Destiny and Bernaya can't be out on the court like for 40 minutes in a game, and we were def- it definitely I think is fatigue coming in on UMass and their starters and their bench players basically playing almost 35 minutes a game. And like, they've been like, they've been around for like four or five years now. And the Savage, Savage seven, which is what you were referring to when they made that 2020, 2021 run to the finals um, with Steph Kalasia, Brania Mayo, McKenna White, Angelique Alcondi, Sydney Taylor and Stan Breen. There we go. All seven of them. Basically, like, they're, they've all grown up. They know what they're doing, and I think they know how to work with each other. It's just trying to, like, make sure that it can still all, like, go well with Layla Fair, uh, Lily um, Ferguson, Kristen Williams, and Lex Brooks, along with Fias Gabriel. You got to work those players in somehow and, like, somehow find, like, the good met, like, it all meshed together. So I think we're still trying to see that a little bit. And it's just been like a whole bunch of like pieces that still need to get put together and kind of having Bonnie's as their first game in conference play, I think was a good thing for UMass just because they got off to the slow start, but second, third, fourth and quarter, second, third and fourth quarters were all there. And Sam Breen getting her triple double then, I think really goes to show you that like they're like, they can do it. It's just, they need to have the right mentality, right momentum, all of that. And so, Daniel, like you said, I mean, UMass out of those five teams that we talked about is fifth out of those five at two and one. But there is no way that you're ready to exclude them from a double buy conversation. I think there's another team like that who, again, real good, has been a perennial A-10 women's program for, you know, five six seven years now but still this season I think you know with the coaching change and everything doesn't really have that target on their back and that's Fordham and from the games that I've watched on the Fordham women's side this year I felt like they have exactly what um I was talking about with Rhode Island men's right they have several players who I think who are all really talented who have worked with each other for a really long time, even though, you know, they're, they're, they're a good amount of, you know, contributing transfers on this team, but they're, they're a team where they have three or four players that can take over at different times in the game, giving each other some rest, you know, taking the attention off them, off, off their teammates a little bit and not step on each other's toes and get in their way. Um, And so, I mean, 
what have you liked from the Fordham Rams so far? I mean, for me, I mean, Asia Dingle has just been an absolute machine. Obviously, she leads the team in scoring. Um, but you know, obviously, then you've had those two, you know, two Fordham vets that have that have that have still made major contributions to this team, and that's Anna DeWolf and Caitlin Downey. So for you two, I mean, what do you like out of them? And what can kind of propel them to, you know, be a, once again another strong contender in the Atlantic 10 this year? Go ahead, Daniel. Sorry. Um, Fordham is a weird team this year. Um, They they started off conference play, I don't want to say a little lucky, um, but they kind of won two games that they probably shouldn't have. I mean, they were games that they were definitely favored in, but just the ways in which the game went. um, I mean, combined four points total win uh, between Davidson and VCU, neither of which are having great seasons. Um, they both underperformed quite a bit, but they found ways to win. I mean, I think if you're looking to draw a positive out of that, certainly it is they found ways to win. Um, and and the, the way that they came out in the second half of Dayton, um, I think proved a lot that this team can withstand that type of run that they, I mean, Dayton threw a cra- I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it was like a 16 to three run or something at Fordham um, and just shellacked them like from the get go. And Fordham found a way to regroup. And I think that's what you're seeing. Like, it's a veteran team. Um, It's the type of thing that you kind of hope to see a little bit more on the men's side with certain George Mason teams that shall not be named. um, (laughs) That are, you know, teams that are comprised of veterans that are... Anyway, um, a team like Fordham Women's Basketball that is comprised of veterans is doing what you expect a veteran team to do. And that's finding ways to win games. I think it honestly plays to their advantage that they're under the radar in the sense that, you know, there's, there's not that pressure. There's been pressure on them in the past and... Some years it's worked out and some years it's not. This year, I don't think anyone is talking about them um, at all. And I think that's definitely playing to their favor. Yeah, the word, it sounds like the word you're looking for is like maturity, right? Like yes, they, I absolutely. mean, you know, the, the, the hype basketball term is probably clutch, right? Where a mm-hmm. player can come in and, and take over and have some sort of crazy moment. But really what, what, what leads to those clutch moments is maturity and discipline. And I have to totally agree with you. I mean, you know, I don't. I, I never want to call a team undisciplined, but I mean, there are some teams that just, you know, when when things don't go their way, they they want to they want to scramble, they want to get off quick plays. But it takes it takes a leader on the in uniform, not not necessarily a coach, because every coach knows how to do that. But it takes somebody who can say, "Hey, look, this is what we're doing. Like, follow my lead. I'm not going to be the ball hog, but I'm going to be able to facilitate." you know, a a, a winning game plan on the floor. And I think the Fordham women definitely have many of those types of players. And that's what's, that's what's leading to their success. Yeah. And I just want to use this one word, like Fordham definitely has some grit, um, like with like how they can play and stuff. Um, Like, especially I watched a portion of the VCU um, Fordham game a few weeks ago. Was that like a school day one, Sam? Because there were a whole bunch of kids, and there were a few times, yeah. there were a few times where, like, my computer, like, the audio almost just cut out because of how loud it was. And the commentators were like, we thought we had to go off air because we couldn't talk with how loud it was. Yes, they and do. I, um, every, every, like, couple years. I mean, I think they just brought it back this year because of the pandemic, but... um. <laughs> Definitely, I like you know when I was at WFEV, I, I did some on-site producing stuff for Fordham men's and women's broadcasts, 
And there was always that one day where basically what they do is I'm pretty sure what they do is they invite um like local schools, like local elementary schools, like from the Bronx to come in. And it's like usually like right before uh, most of their holiday breaks, I think, uh, is what it is. Cause you know, you, you I don't... think it was like, I think it was like right after um, like the holiday break. I want to say it was like the fourth. Yeah. So, so like, like while the students are still on break. Yeah, like you don't you don't do anything in school like around that time. You know what I mean. So yeah. it's definitely like it's. I think it's honestly, it is a great thing that they do. I think any school, especially schools in the city, um, because it's you know wh- when you're in a city like New York or Philly or Boston, like it's hard to build a college fan base that, of people that aren't alumni. Because how could you how could you do that in a city that has to compete with ticket sales for the Knicks, the Celtics, the Sixers? You know what I mean? So I think building that, you know, with with these elementary school kids, not only is a great thing to do for them um, and, you know, be a part of the community, but also, you know, potentially build some fans. And so I've covered some of those games. And I have to tell you, in person, it is if you think it's loud on TV, like you have no idea what it's like in in Rose Hill Gym, because Rose Hill Gym, the thing about it, too, is like. It's because it's old, it carries sound in a really unique way, and it's it's. It's honestly, it's it's great. I mean, from a radio perspective, it was a little tough because the, you know, sound mixing and everything was kind of a nightmare. But it, just being there was really fun. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Again, just another team that in this in this whole top five that we've got going on in the Atlantic Ten. Um, it's just going to be super interesting, and I, I I really can't wait. And I thought I think the rest of us can't wait to yeah. see how it pans out. But I, I mean, like- it's gonna. Oh yeah. I just want to say one more thing about them. I think we're going to see Fordham this year definitely fly under the radar, like Daniel was saying. And I think they're going to be the like peop, like the hunter this season. I think they're going to be the hunter for when they play against UMass, St. Joe's, GW, and Rhode Island. I think they have like a better edge because they're fly- right now they're flying under the radar. Not many teams are really probably paying attention to what's going on at Rose Hill Gym. So considering the fact that Fordham has that advantage, they should take that advantage to like and use it because that could be like, I mean, they're going to end up probably getting a double buy as we've already stated, but that could probably be saying, look here, we are here to play. Like they could be coming back and saying, we want, like, we want to be the hunt. We want to be hunted. Like, come on, like, let us be the hunty. You must be the hunter. Yeah. So didn't help on Wednesday though. They took that fat L, that fat <laughs> L at GW. So just saying. No, no, I know you're just saying that, but I'm just saying they could be trying to be the hunters right now against some of these teams. Minus George Washington, Daniel. Minus George Washington. I think they only play once in the regular season, so it won't help them now. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess we'll see. But I mean, look, these things are going to keep panning out. You know, as long as they keep playing great games, like I think we're going to be seeing this weekend so for for you two on on both the men's and women's sides um what are some games this weekend that you think some some a10 fans should definitely be tuning into Ooh, i'm gonna just say this one right now because i know we were talking about possibly saying Dayton men who's gonna beat them i'm gonna say the, our first friday a10 um i'm gonna say vcu at dayton you got like ud arena going to be jammed packed on a Friday night. VCU is coming in three and one. VCU is looking somewhat decent this year, as long as they can keep um, everyone healthy and have their lineup 
starting lineup stay intact. I think they will be fine. But Dayton's still dealing with injuries right now. And from what our group chat has been saying, Anthony Grant's been pretty quiet about when, like, these players are going to come back and all of that. So I think VCU has the good potential of pulling off the surprising win on Friday night. Um, obviously, I'm going to go with our conference um, rivalry game, UMass Rhode Island, second game of a doubleheader for um, that. I'm going to t- I'm going to touch on the women's game in a few moments. Loyal Chicago and St. Joe's battle for last place. Sorry, got to just mention that. And I'm going to say Richmond and St. Bonaventure as well for men's, um, just the games to look at. And then women's, I mentioned the doubleheader, St. Joe's coming up to UMass, undefeated, coming off a win, both teams coming off a win against the Loyal Chicago, coincidentally. UMass needs to come out fast and furious and actually score, not like get off to the slow, sluggish starts that they have then, because St. Joe's is going to use that against them immediately. Um, Duquesne at Fordham, I'm going to say, is another one. And then Dayton at St. Louis as well. Yeah. Um, Loyola Chicago St. Joe's is a great pick because it's one <laughs> of those things, right, where two teams are coming into it 0-4. Someone has to come away with their first win. So that's a really important game for, for those two teams. Um, well, is it important for the larger scope of the Atlantic 10? Absolutely, I so. yes. I don't Absolutely, think so. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, it's important for those two fan bases, at least. I mean, if you're, you know, some people like Daniel might think it's really important for the whole conference. And that's that's valid. It could be. But we know it's important for at least two fan bases. So, Daniel, what else you got for us? Well, I've got a crazy weekend coming up. I'm going to go to four games this weekend because I'm absolutely it. insane. Um, it, the, the stars aligned on Saturday. Mason plays at noon and GW plays at four. Um so I'm doing both. Mason men hosting Davidson. Mason needs a big bounce back game after their um, disaster of an end at St. Louis on Wednesday night. Um, GW hosting St. Louis. Um, St. Louis, the benefit of Mason's disaster on Wednesday night. Um, but I think St. Louis had some of their flaws exposed the other night. And GW, as I mentioned, is a team that can get weird. And could get hot. And um, I know it's a big personal game for for Ryan Puello. Um, Shout out to our guy um, who has a personal vendetta with the Billikens. So, you know, you, you can't ever count that, that factor. Um, and then Monday, the, the revolutionary rivalry doubleheader on both games on CBS Sports Network, the women at noon and the men at four. Um, both games, with, I think, a significant amount of intrigue. And honestly... This might be the best that all four teams have looked since Mason joined the Atlantic 10 Conference. Um, I'll start with the women's game. I think Mason is is ahead of schedule despite the fact that they, they've lost two starters for a, what looks like an extended period of time, um, but still are extremely competitive. They're knocking right on the door. Um, GW, I've already kind of given you guys a synopsis of them tonight. So I think that's just going to be a really fun game. Um, and it's a rivalry that has, I think, honestly, it's a more intense rivalry on the women's side than it is the men's side, honestly. Um, and I think it's going to be a great game. The men's side, whatever these two teams get together, it's always silly. Um, it, it's completely not predictable. And the person you least expect to have a big game will have a big game. So it's either going to be Noel Brown or it will be Devin Dinkins or something completely random. 
Um, one for the sickos is what you're saying. It's, it's the sickos rivalry. It's, <laughs> it's the one that everyone doesn't want to see, but has to anyway, because it's the only <laughs> game at the moment. There you go. Um, I'm just going to say this. I'm saying GW come GW men, GW men come out on top for sure. I I can't make a call yet or not on the women's because like I'm trying to remember where are they at in conference play, Daniel? Uh, Mason is two and two, and GW's three and one. Yeah, I knew GW was three and one. Mason well, was real, real close at at LaSalle the other night, and both of them. So all four teams have a game on Saturday before they play on Monday. So it's going to be a quick turnaround for all four of them. Because, like, there's potential big implications on the stands. Like, GW women could get to 5-1. and one. The Mason women could get to 4-2. and two. Like, these are yeah. things that we did not think were possible before the season. Um, so a lot of, I mean, not just, like, because it's Daniel's personal rivalry. It's it's just, a, it's like a real big matchup for this conference. Yeah. I like, I don't really think we see that too often, too. And I, I, in in the fact that the men's and women's are playing the exact same day in the s- same place uh, in the same matchup. I think that's really cool. I, 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 I For other rivalries in the A-10, I mean, I would love to see other programs try and do that. I mean, logistically, I know that's really hard, but I mean, the fact they were able to align that is, is really cool. Um, so for you, I mean, are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit at half court, paint one side of yourself gold and the other side of yourself green or – What's, what's hard in there? I, I like this GW men's team more than I've liked GW men's teams in recent memory. Um, this Mason men's team I'm very frustrated with. Ask me af- ask me how I feel after the games on Saturday. <laughs> um, for the women's game, I'll be on press row doing my thing. Um, the men's game, I'll be sitting with my dad. And because he's a GW fan, I'm going to have to root for Mason because I got to balance that out. So <laughs> that'll be my plan. Um, but I'll still be falling into pieces in an identity crisis as I always do watching these games. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's what sports is about. It's about identity crisis. It's about <laughs> giving yourself, it's about finding a, you know, a, a crisis over people throwing balls and hoops. And that's really what we should all be having crisis, crises well, over. I'm having a crisis on whether or not I'm going to go up to UMass, sit on press row for women, men, go sit with my family. Since they got a doubleheader, or I go down to Western New England, watch a doubleheader down there, and get then get paid to work a second game. So I'm like, eh. the the getting paid is kind of winning currently, and also the team's like, you're gonna be at our game on Saturday, right? Because we're currently undefeated in conference play. So I kind of told them yes, since I am basically the only manager that is like on call twenty four seven. But A ten sickos. Yeah. The A ten sickos are calling. Hey. Unfortunately, again. not good rivalry. Not good rivalry <laughs> for women. If it was Rody and Rody, I would say I'm there. But it's not, so Again, a very valid crisis and the type of crises that I think I think we should all, you know, kind of hope for in our lives. So if you're listening right now and uh you're you're thinking about, you know, where where this might affect you. Let us know on Twitter what your uh, what your big A10 crisis is, and uh, keep following A10 Talk. Keep following us on Twitter, a10talk.com, where uh, all of our best contributors are putting up the best content for the best 15 teams in college basketball. So for uh, for Kale Yodek and Daniel Frank, I'm Sam Basil. This has been the A10 Talk podcast, and we'll see you next time.